The goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to one more episode of the Data Transformers podcast. And today, Peggy and I are excited to have Global Artificial Intelligence Lead at PwC, Dr. Anand Rao. Anand, welcome. Thank you, Ramesh and Peggy. Great to be on your show. So with that, uh, Anand, uh, when we looked at your profile, um, the word that came to my mind especially is that stunning, right? Stunning in terms of the breadth uh, of uh, what you have done and what you're doing. And then the depth of, uh, you know, the things that you cover in terms of AI. And the other thing that I, I looked at is you worked in Asia. You actually physically worked in Asia. You worked in um, Australia. And you were, of course, now you're in the U.S. And uh, uh, globally, you serve a lot of clients. So I think there's so much material to cover. Uh, first, uh, let's uh, get started by uh, you talking about your scope of the work from your own side of the world. Okay, yeah. Um, as you said, um, uh, Ramesh, I'm the global AI lead. I actually played three different roles at PwC. Uh, one is the global AI lead, and I'm also a partner in our analytics insights group uh, within the broader cloud and digital um, that we do. And I'm also part of um, an innovation group called AI and Emerging Technology. And we have a, a group called Labs, which, which is sort of more focused on our product. So I'm both on the client-facing side as well as on the product side, uh, primarily in US, but in my global role, I connect the different uh, PwC firms as part of the broader network, specifically on AI. It's uh, really interesting, Anand. So when you're talking to these C-level executives, um, what type of trends or issues are they coming to you with in terms of you know, AI topics or what, what, are mm -hmm. they, what are the conversations like? Yeah, I would say, Peggy, there's been a, of course, we all know that technology continuously keeps changing, right? So every couple of years, there is something new. Uh, yeah, sometimes it is quite a lot of hype. Sometimes it is real and it's partly both, right? So it's never uh, hype without anything. So there is a hype with something that's sort of overblown. I would say that over the past at least a couple of years, what we are seeing is there's a lot of confusion in the market. Um, initially, people were told data is the thing and the whole group of data uh, and not just traditional data. Now we have all the unstructured data, the big data, streaming data, IoT data. Everything is about data, right? So data-driven organization. Data is the oil of the new economy, all of those. Um, so as just as executives were getting comfortable, yeah, yeah, we need to work on data, then suddenly it's automation, right? So we can automate everything away, right? So RPA, IPA, it's all of those automation. Then comes the analytics. Everybody say, hey, no, there's this analytics. It's not just enough if you have data, you need to generate all these insights and insights is the key thing. And then 
again, a few more years and then say, no, 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 that's all old. You have AI now, right? So AI is going to change the world, right? So it's going to change the planet. It's, and then some others coming and say, no, 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 it's an existential threat for humanity, right? So no one has made that statement before on many of the other technologies, but AI is an existential threat. So if I'm a business person, I just get bombarded with these. And after a while, I think you just tune off to all these techno babble in terms of all these other things that are coming. And let's just get to the bottom of this and say, hey, what is the real ROI here? So businesses are very focused on, yeah, all the type is fine, right? So we can make whatever noises we want, but where is the value being delivered? So when you look at that, we really see, I mean, just focusing on the value piece, uh, we see sort of three big uh, trends. So one trend I would say is this convergence, just as I mentioned, there's been this sort of data revolution, automation revolution, and AI ML and all of those. So there's a convergence of data uh, models, which may be analytic models, which may be AI models, and software. When I say software, I mean software in the broad sense, including the compute, the cloud, whether it is uh, 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 hybrid or, or private or public. So all these three coming together is what we are seeing over the past year or so. That's number one. Number two, I think people have been very much siloed in the way they have been thinking about data or models or even software, each one living in their own silos and one part of the face. And what we are seeing is more a life cycle approach. So I'm sure you have seen a lot in, oh, MLOps is very important, DevOps is important, right? So uh, all of those are essentially taking a much broader view. So there is this end-to-end -end view right from the time you work with your business, specify what you want to get done, and that involves data, models and software, you need to develop it, and then you need to deploy it, and that's when you start getting the value, and then you need to continuously monitor it, right? So that end-to-end -end becomes more apparent. That's sort of the second trend. And the third trend, I would say, is just so that you get the only the opportunity side and not get into any of the risky areas, you need to worry about the AI risks. And that's something, again, some people call it responsible AI, we call it responsible AI. So it's more around the governance risk control so that there are a number of things that can go bad with AI. You will somehow want to prevent that from happening so you can reap your ROI uh, on the positive side and don't get uh, any of the negative impact of AI. So those are the three things I would say. So it's the convergence of those three that I mentioned, the life cycle approach, <coughs> and very much that AI ethics and, and responsible AI. So given, given these broad major trends that you're seeing, Anand, the convergence, the ops, and then the responsible, the ethical piece of it, is the pendulum seems to be shifting from one side. Like so the, if, you, if a business leader, they focus on the value, but at the same time, nowadays it seems like a, you know, the downsides of doing AI or dominating the discussion, like whether it's an EU uh, coming with the regulations. Yes. When I looked at their regulations, the first paragraph is about things you cannot do with AI, right? It is yes. not about things you can do with AI. So it's, it's interesting that, is that how the discussions are happening? But first, let me figure out things I cannot do with AI and then see what I can do with uh, you know, AI. Yeah, no, very, very good question. So yes, we are seeing a lot of regulatory activity. We are seeing a lot of policy documents. 
more than 190 plus policy documents have come out literally in the three the past couple of years three years um and i think the reason for that is uh people have uh, i guess underestimated the the way in which ai can de be deployed and also some of the risks of ai as long as most of these things were done very much in a limited lab environment right so either in academic labs or even in, in in the enterprise level at a limited scale then it is the same people who are building and there is slightly larger group of people using i think it has been reasonably safe and used in an appropriate way now as the ai has become more and more widely uh, used especially in the consumer side i think you do need to worry a little bit about some of these risks and that's what you are seeing uh by a number of these organizations coming back and then looking at some of those ai risks so uh, to me at least i think that is a positive thing so again as you very well know ai has gone through ups and downs multiple times what they call as the ai winter and ai has been around since 1956 right so as we all know right so more than what over 60 65 years and if we don't want to have another one of those ai winters i think we need to be very cognizant of some of the risks and make sure that uh we are mitigating those or we don't enter into some of those which we don't know the right answer for right so it's a balance between innovating and uh also being very careful in terms of what we deploy into the market so we don't get uh, uh, i think the critical element here is the customer trust if we lose the customer trust this time around it'll take a long time for ai to come back into the into the common agenda into the societal agenda so i think that's that's why i think you're seeing some of that focus um on on the risk side of this and and now i'm i'm sure you've seen a, a spectrum of uh you know from low to high in terms of ai um implementations or discussions um i'm i'm curious uh just to hear um you know on the high end uh what are the type of um most innovative type of ai implementations that are are being done today um and does it vary across different industries i know you you have expertise in financial services insurance healthcare are there differences that uh uh in in ai implementations and discussions that you're hearing yeah yeah no definitely to answer your, the the last question yes definitely differences in implementation and the adoption of ai um i would sort of rank it more as obviously with the with the high tech firms uh basically being the primary promoters of ai they're obviously the most advanced um would be their high, high technology followed by media so the second area then i think it's sort of closely following that would be more financial services so i would say uh anything from uh, investment banking to uh to insurance and and hedge funds and and pe firms and so on so the the financial services are probably the sort of the the next stage of it insurance as well in in that in that bucket then i would get to uh there's a lot of opportunity in healthcare some of them are just tapping into it but it is a it is a very uh splintered uh area and lots of opportunities there and then you get into retail 
um, and after that into uh, more of the traditional manufacturing processing, more hard asset kind of uh, organizations, oil and gas, uh, utilities, uh, and so on would be the would be the next stage. And and agriculture, right? So agriculture also, I think, surprisingly, is sort of very well advanced. In the AI part, in terms of precision agriculture and what some of the things can happen, even in terms of robotics and uh, and so on. So I think it sort of does span all of the different industry sectors, and that's why some people refer to this as a general-purpose technology, right? So AI is one of those which impacts every industry sector and every functional area, whether it is strategy or marketing or customer service, fun- operations, risk every area you can use AI. So again, it's more like the internet. Um, So it's not a sort of a narrow type of technology which applies to some, it sort of really uh, goes across. And to answer your other question in terms of uh, what are some of the advanced kind of use cases, what we have seen is, I mean, you've done a various studies and and this number has been been changing obviously with the evolution of AI. we see that um, uh, roughly, uh, uh, I would say, 30 to 40% of the companies are still in exploration mode, right? So they're just being bombarded with AI, especially the, the, the ones which are uh, smaller scale companies. They heard AI and they probably want to know more about it, but it's just at that awareness state is what we are saying. Then the remaining around 40 to 50% of the companies that we survey, again, these are the top 2,000 plus companies in there. And, and they are much more around, let's experiment with it, right? So do proof of concept. So they might have multiple proof of concepts in one group or the other, but they haven't taken AI as something that cuts across all uh, business units and all functional areas. So it's sort of much more point solutions at different places. Um, Again, in some cases, they would have got the ROI. In other cases, they are trying to get a better ROI. It's only around the 20% or so of companies that are really deploying AI at a large scale, right? So when I say large scale, uh, they have a specific AI strategy that supports their business strategy. Uh, They have a group that can dive into any of the business units or functional areas. They might be decentralized or centralized, that doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. but they have AI applying in in many of those. Uh, They use common set of tools, uh, techniques and so on. So that's only around 20% of those companies essentially deploying. And they're also trying to govern AI and worry about all the things that we just discussed. So there's only 20%. And and the types of use cases that we are seeing that these companies adopt are, I think, much more uh, rooted in operational systems. So we are seeing when you are in the in the second stage that I mentioned, you are more proof of concepts, more batch mode of inferencing. So in other words, um, I, I'll do whatever I can to get all the data, build my model, and as long as that limited model can give the right results, I'm happy, right? So I don't worry too much about, hey, is this going to be used appropriately or how am I going to explain it? I can explain it, right? So, and it makes sense and the accuracy is good. So I'm, I'm successful, right? So mm-hmm. quote unquote. Two, now, then that's not sufficient. So the data scientist success may not be the success of the entire product Correct. that needs to be automated, that needs to be embedded within the IT stack. The consumers need to understand what you're doing or the, the, the personnel using it needs to understand. 
understand. So this whole notion around ML ops, where, where you are essentially deploying models and also continuously learning. So one thing people are discovering is uh, unlike software, AI performance can deteriorate over time, right? Mm -hmm. So in software, the performance doesn't deteriorate. So the specs can change, right? So it often changes, but the software itself doesn't deteriorate. In AI, the software can deteriorate, right? So because now you're using a different set of data and it may not be reflective of the, of the data that it was trained on. So your performance actually starts decreasing. So you need to have this continuous learning capability. So when we look at companies doing that, so that's sort of more advanced capability. So 24 by seven continuous learning kind of an operation is some of the use cases. The other use case that I would say we have been very interested in pushing forward also is this notion that AI, if you look at almost any of the published work, focuses very much on operational decisions, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it basically looks at, oh, can I risk rate this person? Can yeah. I engage in a conversation? The conversation is also much more transactional rather than contextual conversation. So much more uh, at a tactical level. So what we have been trying to do is to use AI at the strategic level. So more as a tool. So for example, if a company comes and says, and this is something that we did for one of the companies, um, autonomous vehicles, electric autonomous vehicles in a car share, ride share kind of a model, if we were to deploy that, what is the business model for it? No one has the answer to it. Uh, why? Because it doesn't exist, right? So electric autonomous vehicle doing car share, ride share, completely autonomous doesn't exist, but you can have AI to look at different scenarios of what are the different business models. And to use, again, we use something called a digital twin technology or agent-based modeling, where you're modeling every consumer's reactions and, and modeling that consumer reaction is the AI behind it. Now with the compute power we have, we can literally have 3 million, 5 million, 10 million that such digital twins making decisions uh, on a simulated environment on a minute by minute basis, uh, hiring or not hiring uh, uh, these autonomous vehicles in that simulated environment. So you can start modeling various scenarios. So for this particular client, we did 250,000 go-to-market scenarios. Wow. Just imagine 250,000. Uh, and let's say uh, you can't, I mean, as a human mind, you cannot grapple with this. Right? So right. a strategy consultant would say, oh, we'll give you three, uh, typically it's uh, sort of three choices, right? So, and usually you go for the middle one, you structure yeah, the middle right. one, so it's like, well, the middle one. But yeah, I mean, from three, you can maybe go to half a dozen, 10, 12, but beyond that, the human brain can't handle. Whereas here, it's all parameterized. It's like the SimCity. I don't know whether you have played the SimCity yeah. game. The SimCity is a game for building cities, but here it is a SimCity for your business. And it could be for any business decision. So in this particular case for the client, it was for building their business business around car share, ride share, uh, autonomous vehicles, and so on. I think that is something that you'll see happening more and more. Uh, I know AI has beat a number of those games, but those games like Go and chess and uh, all these parallel games, they are of very limited use from a business context. So we are trying to gamify this notion around business decision-making, strategic business decision-making, especially when there is no data around the past, you can start creating this. So that's a very innovative way of thinking about AI. Uh, and again, as you know, in, in, in any organization, strategy is 
thought of as the sort of the, the pinnacle of the organization. So something where really human brain is needed and expertise is needed and, and long honed in instincts are needed. So we are seeing how AI can help those people, again, not to get rid of them, but to aid them. So again, this particular client that we are talking about, the, the very, very smart executive, but mm -hmm. he was aided by the system and they were able to make some of those strategic decisions that they wouldn't have if they did not have the system. So they were looking at the pricing decisions and uh, M&A decisions, and, and all of those were very much fine-tuned to the city that they were entering. So this model was constructed for each city. So the way you price in New York City is very different to the way you price in Ann Arbor, Michigan, one is a university town, the other is a sort of a very go, go, go uh, kind of a, a city, right? So very different kinds of expectations of citizens that sort of comes through in the way you, you develop these digital twins. So there's some exciting ways in which AI can be used, I think, so still yet to come. So actually that gives me a context to my next question. Um, so basically doing versus thinking, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially as you are working in the strategy space, and I'm fascinated by some of the articles you wrote in the thinking space and the towards data mm -hmm. science. I think uh, really uh, some fantastic articles. So one thing that I'm going to refer to is the five types of thinking for a high performing data scientist. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you laid out, I'm um, looking at the model thinking, systems thinking, agent-based thinking, behavioral thinking, and computational thinking. Okay. Yep. Yep. So one of the uh, first thing that struck me and uh, is like, there is no data related thinking in this one, but I'm sure it's embedded somewhere in this one. Um, so if you could lay the land out uh, for us, it, it's a, what, what are these five types of thinking you're, you're saying that a high performing data scientist should have? Yeah. Yeah, no, very, very good question there. So again, data is there. And I think this is almost a, sort of a counterweight to the way most data scientists think. Mm -hmm. And again, I would, I would probably even question the word data science by, by its very definition focuses on, yes, it focuses on the science part, but it focuses also on the data part. So again, uh, 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 as you said in my, my intro, I've been in AI since 85, 1985. So uh, again, looking at it, people look at the, the current decade of deep learning and data-driven AI and think that that's probably the only way that, that AI can be built. Mm. And I've gone to many client organizations where they say, oh, we have lots of data, so you should be able to do good uh, AI models. <laughs> uh, not necessary, right? So you might have trillions of transactions, but if you haven't really got it in a proper way, you cannot do deep learning. The counter is also true, right? So you can't do AI without any data. And we perform a number of things like that, right? So for example, uh, this is probably 30 years back. I mean, I knew uh, how to drive when I was in Australia. Uh, obviously I had not seen much of snow growing up in India and then, then in Australia. When I land in New York in the middle of winter, I have to drive in snow. So there is no data for me to process as to, hey, how will the car skid and what do I need to do? And I didn't go and read up on a, on a huge manual of how to drive in the snow. You just discover, right? So you use your, that's what I start to call as the mental or everyone calls it the mental model. You have a mental model as to how the car behaves 
And yes, some of them you may not know. You'll try certain things and fail. You'll probably slam the brake as many do when, when you're coming first and then see the car skid and then try slamming it slowly and then say, oh, that's a better. So, oh, we probably shouldn't be slamming the brake if you're slipping. And that's how we learn. So we learn not because we had huge volumes of data and we were able to say, oh, this is the way we should perform in snow. Uh, uh, so that mental model is where what I was driving through in that okay. article. So, and we do have, as humans, we have number of these mental models and we can capture that. So when I talked about this notion of using AI for strategic thinking, that's exactly what we are exploiting. So when someone is thinking of a strategy in an organization, any organization, they have a deep seated model of either how their current business is performing or even a future business, right? So where nothing has been there, they have a mental model. I mean, there are, there are I think in this one and in the previous article I've written, uh, there are basically uh, uh, um, uh, 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 the diagrams written on, on uh, scrap paper where someone has thought through, and this was in the case of Amazon, in the case of Uber, and all of these different companies, even before they became very popular, they have thought through what we call as this feedback loop. So what really makes this kind of a business model succeed? Again, a lot of people can add these models, but they may not happen in reality, right? So there are various reasons for that, but some of these companies have had them. So that's the mental model, right? So again, going back to the data piece, you don't necessarily always need data as a starting point, although you can very well use that data. Once Got you it. have the mental model, you go and get the right data to, to verify or invalidate your model, right? So right. both could happen. Now that completely blows my mind to think, actually I was gonna ask you, do you start with the data? And then you, you just said that sometimes you don't even need data in order to come up with the type of mental model. But when you're thinking about the concept of a digital twin though, does it, doesn't that need to start with the concepts of the gro grounded with data? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I would say we definitely need to uh, uh, start with the problem that we are trying to solve, right? So that's something that we focus on. Let's look at the business problem that we want to solve, and then we can come back to what is the right solution. And this is something that we tell our clients. And again, because of this, this hype and the fad, everyone wants to do AI. They say, I don't care what you do, we need to do AI project. You say, yeah. no, 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 you don't need to do an AI project. So tell us what is it that you want to improve in your business, right? So do you want to improve retention? Do you want to decrease cost? Do you want to get more market share? Tell us what, what is that that you want to improve? Let's figure out what you're currently doing and where analytics or AI or any of the other things can help you, right? So it always has to be from that business problem. And now uh, coming to your specific question around, the, uh, around these models and do they require data? Yes, they do require data, but I think you are better off starting from the problem plus the mental model then defines the data that you should go and get, right? So uh, again, let's talk about the, the example that I was giving in autonomous vehicles um, uh, or car share, ride share. So there was no, uh, this was five, six years back when some of the, the players were just getting in, we were working with them. There's not that much data around uh, uh, behavior data, right? So car car data uh, uh, or, or ride share data that was available. But what we did 
was essentially look at can we create a synthetic data set that mirrors some of the aggregate information. So if you look at any of the major metropolitan cities, uh, New York, for example, is what we were modeling. There are a number of miles driven by taxis, number of mi passenger miles driven by private vehicles, number of miles commuted by, by public transport, by train and so on, right? So you have some of those figures. Now we used, uh, interestingly, some of the maps, right? So Google maps and other, other maps, and then said, hey, where is the congestion? So how does congestion get formed, right? So point A to point B. Now we essentially created a synthetic trip behavior data using some of these tools to mimic what was there at the higher level. So we did not have data to your earlier point. We didn't have data around precisely when someone goes from point A to point B, for what purposes are they going and so on. But we essentially assumed and created that. Again, it's not totally based on assumptions because it needs to tally with the higher level uh, aggregate numbers. Now, the reason I wanted to bring up this example, what is interesting is, is after a couple of years in, in, in the city of San Francisco, I think the uh, organization asked some of the existing players, I think Uber and Lyft to make their trip behavior data public. And interestingly, we had built the synthetic behavior, trip behavior model, and we were close to 3% uh, within the actual behavior of the mm. people in San Francisco city. So you can build these models, right? So, but you need a number of these things working together to do it. But yes, for, for building some of these simulation models, you look at various proxies and you start creating that. So it's not an easy exercise, right? So it is, it is an involved exercise, but it can be done. Wow, it's fascinating. So I think so we got into a really good depth of discussion here. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.